What a happy time in the life of your church. What a day it is to be alive and what an opportunity you have to be part of something that God is doing. In Revelations, there is a picture of Jesus. Jesus shows up, John sees him, and, and he sees a picture of someone like the Son of Man, glorious, walking among seven lampstands, and in his hand are seven stars. And he says, the mystery of what you've seen, let me explain it to you, John. The mystery of the lampstands are these are seven churches, and the stars in the hands are the servants, the angels, the messenger of the church, the leader of the church. The whole book, the first part of the first three chapters of the book of Revelations is the message to the leader of the church. Not to the church, to the leader, or to the angel of the church, to the messenger, the servant of the church, right? And Jesus equated leadership with servanthood, right? So he says, to the messenger, to that church, say, I like this, I'm worried about that, fix that. So it's a governmental discussion between the king and the person that he appointed to lead the church. Now what's interesting about that is that when you get to the, uh, the church at Ephesus, he says to them, listen, I love what you're doing. You guys are really busy, you're engaged, you're doing stuff. You are making it happen. I just have one problem. You're not doing what I told you to do. Frenetic activity. You guys are doing great. He said, just you need to get back on my page. You've lost your first love. So I'm telling you, repent and do the stuff you did at first. Because you started well. You've just taken a left turn into something else. And while it's frenetic and while your culture thinks it's amazing and while you guys are looking good and you're growing... Uh, I need you back on my page. And then he says this, if you don't get back on my page, basically, then I'll take your lampstand away from its place. Because I planted that lampstand in that place to accomplish this. And you guys are working phonetically on that. So I need you to be working on this. But if you keep working on that, I'm just going to take it away. Because I want something doing this. The reason I say all of that is, it's amazing to me how often we come to a church with our agenda. Okay, okay. Guys, you're doing well, but what you really need to do, because I remember I, my favorite church back 20 years ago, you know what we used to do and what you guys should be doing, and I try and hijack the planting of the Lord for a personal preference. Am I preaching yet? This is actually not my sermon. This is just the right instruction. <laughs> And I've realized that in my own heart, and, I've, and because I lead a church, I see a lot of people, they come in, and it's usually the guys have been there for less than a month, you know, and they go, man, not bad, what you guys really need to do, and then they pull out their favorite favorite, whatever that is, you know, they go, we, we, you should be doing this, and I go, uh, you know, that's, that's not an evil thing. You're asking for nectarines. Because you like the taste of nectarines. But God planted an apple tree here. So one of the things I've had to learn, and one of the things we all need to learn, is how to say, Lord, let me get on your page. What are you doing here? Because I've discovered that all the blessings of God come not because I'm cute, or because I'm clever, or because I'm strong, or because I work hard. The favor and the blessing and the authority of the kingdom of God flows through my life when I get into line with what he told me to do. And because I'm in rest and because I'm in honor of Jesus Christ, the fruit that he desires flows effortlessly through our lives because we get in line with him. So more important than your frenetic activity, more important than you being happy with whatever's going on in the church, the best thing you can do is say, Lord, 
can I get on your page? What are you doing here? And how can I help that? Okay? So if you're not, if, you, if that's the mode we're in, what are you doing, Lord? And how can I help? Right? Those are the two questions that should be uppermost in our hand. So I would just suggest that if you wanted to be supportive, if you want to be part of what God is doing here, give yourself wholly to the work of the Lord, as the scripture says. Now, so that's it. It's just an honor to be here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for your warm welcome and your open hearts. And I have a, a message on my heart today called The Call of Spring. I want to talk a little bit more like a father in the faith than a, than, than a specific sermon. And, you know, after a while, I've been doing this for 35 years. When I started, I wanted every sermon to be impressive. I wanted people to go, wow, he really can preach. Now I don't care about that anymore. I'm just going, oh, Lord, could you just help us hear your heart? in what you're trying to say to the church. Message is called The Caller's Spring. One of the things that Jesus asked, it was on his head and his heart in Luke 6, 18. He told this parable about a woman who kept going and she kept bugging the judge and the judge eventually gave her justice. And then he said, However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus was talking in the context of a woman whose faith drove her to consistently press and press and press until she saw the answer to her prayer. And he's, he's teaching them how to pray. He's teaching the church. Sometimes the answers are going to require of you a little more passion than to throw out a casual prayer. And when it doesn't get answered, you go, see, God doesn't answer prayer. That's a little too insipid for what the fiery uh, bride of Christ has in her spirit. The nature, the fundamental nature of the bride of Christ is she's a little sassy. She's take your breath away. After all, she takes away the breath of the king of glory. So she's got a little, little something in her. And so she doesn't just throw out a casual prayer and then when it doesn't get answered, she comes like, honey, did you not hear what I said? I'm like, you know, she's one of those. And Jesus is telling this parable... Is that okay? <laughs> Some of you are going, oh, I don't think that's the way the bride of Christ is. Can I just say, to people who are worried about women in ministry, Jesus assigned all ministry on the earth to his bride. Amen. Okay? Jesus wasn't scared about giving his bride authority to minister. Okay, moving on. That went down like... <laughs> Jesus asked this question because he's in the context of saying that faith is going to be required of my people. And he, and he looked down into the future and he asked the question, when I come back, will there be faith on the earth? Because the basic trend of the way people think, people without God, and the basic press of the enemy against the kingdom is against faith. Because our warfare is by faith. Our protection comes by faith. Who through faith are shielded by God's power, the Bible says. Our everything, our fight, is the fight of faith. So the press of the enemy is against faith. And if the enemy slowly and gently can get the world, which he already is, He's already established that in the world. Unbelief is built in. And if he can start working with the church to get the church to a place of unbelief or living in unbelief, then effectively there is no difference between the church and the atheist neighbor. Yeah. Right? So if I have an atheist neighbor and I, who am a born-again believer, but have no faith in my heart, we respond to situations and circumstances and challenges exactly the same. And the 
The problem with that is the church is supposed to be the salt of the world. We're supposed to be the light. We're supposed to make a difference and not be caught up in the same patterns. So Jesus, this bugged Jesus. He was like, when I come back, is there going to be faith? And one of the biggest challenges that we face, and if we're not careful, because the Bible says, be alert, be on your guard, watch out, be careful about this. If we're not alert, we can tend to drift into a place of unbelief where we can have a form of godliness, but have no power. This is, this is why the aptly named Free Life Church was planted here by the Lord. Because you're a church dedicated to the demonstration of the reality of the kingdom of God. Right? The aptly named free life. A house of habitation. As opposed to a house of restraint. See, in Isaiah 42, he says, This is a people plundered and trapped and looted, and they've been cast into pits, and they have nothing. They are destitute. They are bound up, and there is no one who shouts restore. And the dedication of the church of Jesus Christ shouts restoration over those who have become bound up through unbelief. But in Colossians 2, Paul picks up this concept of watch out because there are philosophies that are at large in the world and at large in the church. And if you will embrace these philosophies, they will captivate your mind and fight against your faith. And they will limit you then to the same expression as your atheist neighbor. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men according to the basic principles of this world and not according to Christ. The inference there is that if you follow the principles that Jesus and the Spirit of God will reveal in your heart, they will be at war with the basic principles of this world. So I want to just deal with just three or four of these philosophies that I'm pretty sure you have encountered and have had tasted and maybe have imbibed because I found that when I began to focus on this, I realized that thing has made more inroad into my heart than I care to admit. So let's talk about modern secularism. Materialism and rationalism are the intellectual grid through which we sift our experiences, typically in the Western world. These two philosophies together form the cornerstone of modern secularism can be traced to the 18th century French Enlightenment, and over the past 200 years, they have taken deep root in Western minds. So let's talk about materialism. Basically, materialism is a materialistic worldview that assumes nothing exists but matter and its movements and its modifications. That there is no supernatural reference point in this life. And there are many people, a growing number of people, who are alive right now who believe in a materialistic worldview. They go, listen, forget all that spiritual mumbo-jumbo magic. That's all nonsense. That's, that's, that's just superstitious people who didn't have a good scientific grounding yet. But we're modern people. This started, we're, we're 17th century people. Then it was, we're 18th century. Now we're up to the, we're the 21st century people. I mean, seriously. We don't buy all of that stuff. We know, and we can measure, and we can see, and if I can't explain it scientifically, it doesn't exist. Materialistic worldview has taken root, especially in a Western civilization. Rationalism similarly proposes that for every human problem, there is a rational solution. 
and that no one can rationally understand everything and that there is no room for divine providence. Many find it difficult to accept supernatural intervention, especially physical healing in a material universe. So, my difficulty is that I was in a meeting and a woman who was born blind and was in her 20s now was baptized and when she came up out of the waters of baptism, the Lord restored her sight. Now, a rationalist goes, that, no, that never happened. No. Maybe there was some healing in the water, you know, something. I, you know, how does that happen? By the way, that lady came and said, they got, she came up out of the waters of baptism, she's staring at her hands because she'd never seen them before. And then somebody asked her, you know, what, what are your impressions? And she goes, men are ugly. <laughs> she had obviously built up this picture of men, they were almost mythic creatures. And when she saw us, she was like, what a disappointing. <laughs> Never forgot that. Men are ugly. Anyway. <clears throat> now, what do you do with that reality? <laughs> See, a rationalist or materialist goes, no, 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 no. But I've been there. I've seen God supernaturally break in. I've seen the power of God change people's lives. I've seen the power of God hit people and heal them as they landed. I've seen too much of a supernatural reality that cannot be explained in a material realm. I've seen too much to go, yeah, you know, that, that sounds right. But if I'm not careful, I start to embrace a philosophy that drifts in that direction. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, let me tell you about Gnosticism, and then we're going to move on from these philosophies. But Gnosticism was a great uh, damage to the early church, and it still hangs around. But Gnosticism was this basic in those days that I believed that all matter, everything physical that you can see is evil, and everything in the spirit realm is good. So they believed that, that God was unknowable, but in, in order to help us, he created these demigods, and then you could get to know some of the demigods that, that the real God had created, but you could never know the real God. And then they said, well, what the physical realm was created by one of these like copies of copies of copies of, and, it, and he just went sour and went ugly. And that bad God created the bad world that we live in. And so Gnostics said, well, there's no real sin, there's just special knowledge. And if you figure out the special knowledge, then you're automatically back. And there's a part of what's going on around now is a modern form of Gnosticism that says, you're not really a sinner, you don't really have to confess your sins, you just have to have the special knowledge. When you get the special knowledge, you're in. No, you have to repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So Gnosticism... We say, well, we would never believe that, but that concept that everything that is physical is evil and everything that's spiritual is good has crept into the church. So we go, okay, I'm going to beat my body up. In the dark ages, this got terrible. So some monks would wear horrible, scratchy clothing. They wouldn't eat much. They would whip themselves. They would deny themselves because this body is evil. I'm going to treat it. I'm going to bring it under subjection. And then they would spend hours, weeks fasting, praying, standing in awkward positions. There's one guy, Simone, he, he lived for 37 years on the top of a pole. And he was an ascetic. And he, it was like, and he was, that was, that, that was deeply spiritual. Because this dichotomy arose between the physical realm is, is evil and the spiritual realm is good. 
Now, we still have this today. So let me bring up a diagram of two people here. And let me just explain this. So there's man and woman, Adam. He created them, male and female, he created them, and he called them Adam. Mankind has this opportunity because of all God's creatures, mankind is the only one designed by God to function in two different realms. You are designed with a physical body that functions in a physical realm. You are given dominion in the physical realm. We have authority. We are given full rights. In fact, our rights to this physical realm are so inviolate that the only way the enemy could bring evil into this physical realm was to bring it through human beings. The devil had no authority to, to bring any evil or any curse or any damage or any vindictiveness into the physical realm. He first had to get the agreement of mankind because God gave to you and to me the authority over the physical realm. And so when the enemy got mankind to agree with him, he could take dominion and be the ruler of the, the, the one who works evil in the world. But mankind has also been given the spirit. God breathed, created us in his image so that we bear the likeness of Jesus Christ. We are called and gifted and anointed and quite comfortably appointed to function in the spiritual realm. You have five senses that aid you in your connection to a physical realm. If there's nothing wrong with your five senses, quite easily you can taste, touch, smell, see, hear. It's very easy for you. You don't think about it. You see things, you smell things, you taste things. It's normal, it's natural. Nobody goes, what are you doing tasting? Well, that's just what happens. In a, in a couple of hours' time, we're all going to taste lunch. In the same way, God has built into your spirit natural abilities. Your spirit naturally can connect to God. It can discern things. That's why some of you, because you don't even know, you're not even trying, some of you will walk into a room. The ladies are better at this than the men, typically. Ladies will walk into a room and go, oh, what's wrong? I can't walk into my house. I've tried it with a happy face. I walk in, my wife goes, what's wrong? Nothing. What's wrong? She discerned something that was not presented to her five senses. How many of you ladies walk into a store and go, there's nothing for me here? Just hold up your hands. Let me just see that. How many ladies know there's nothing for me in this store? I walk in with my wife. I go, how do you know that? She goes, no, there's nothing for me here. Go, there's a massive store. I'm sure we'll find something. Your spirit, your spirit, because you were born again, I hope I'm not telling you anything new. You're, you have inside of you a spirit, God-given, God-designed. You are not just a physical being. You are a spiritual being. And your spirit has natural abilities to function in the spiritual realm. Now, what happens is we have this opportunity to go from the spiritual world into the material world, and it's a seamless reality because your spirit and your soul and your body are intertwined. You don't find any weirdness in yourself because God has made a seamless flow between your spirit and your mind. And your spirit can whisper things to your mind and they come up into your mind like all your other thoughts and you can function both in a natural realm and in the supernatural realm with ease at the same time. Am I making sense? The problem is most people are freaked out by this idea. Oh, no, no. 
because we're material and rational. So we go, oh, no, no, that, that spiritual stuff is weird. Don't come near me with that spiritual stuff. So a lot of people take this view. We go, okay, we're going to just turn our view and we're going to look at this. Just go to the next slide. We're just going to look at that green. So that's, that's on the material world. We're just going to focus there. Because you know what's nice about the material world? It requires no faith. I can walk up to things and touch them. I have a scientific basis for things. The, the religion of science is magical because it always works. That's the beauty of the, of the religion of science. Flick the switch, the lights come on. And there's a reason for that. I understand the reason. I can control the religion of science. We like that. But the religion of science requires no faith. And our salvation is all about faith. But some people just say, you know what, that spiritual world stuff is not for me. I, I can't be that. But I'm here to tell you that because you came into Jesus Christ, he has opened up everything about the spiritual world to you. Entering the spiritual world outside of the lordship of Jesus Christ is a terribly dangerous thing to do. But when you come into Christ, who is the Lord over all principalities and powers, who is the one who created the spiritual realm, when you are in Christ, he invites you to walk naturally, not weird, not strange, naturally. So what starts to happen if you understand this and you start to say, okay, Lord, walk with me. Holy Spirit, teach me. Because this is what Jesus said. When the Spirit of God comes, he'll teach you about all things, not just the physical things. And he'll guide you into all truth. And he will speak of things that you don't yet know. And he'll tell you about what's coming. So I'm in a time of prayer. And the Lord says, your father doesn't have long to live. And I come out and discover three weeks later that my father's not feeling well because he comes to visit us. And then I discover that he, and in the year that it took him to pass on, he transformed his life, came back to the Lord, made everything right, had decided he was going to live until he died, had the best year of the previous 30 years of his marriage, of his life, died happy and at peace. The grace of God to my father, but I knew it a year before because the Lord whispered it to me and I had no physical physical ability to know that, but the tremendous peace that I walked in as I loved my dad and honored him as he went to be with the Lord. My daughter was 15. The Lord said, I want you to relax. I'm sending a boy. I was like, what? <laughs> a little while later, her husband, now husband comes, they meet. Beautiful young man, just right. Beautiful relationship. There's something. People go, well, well, did, did you shake? Did you fall over? What happened? No, it was a gentle whisper in my spirit. And I'm saying to you that Jesus is inviting you, if you've come to know Jesus, not just to function in a natural realm, but also to function very comfortably in a supernatural realm. Just as you function naturally in this natural realm, he's inviting you to function naturally in a supernatural realm. It doesn't have to be weird. It will be supernatural. It will be spiritual. Some people who said in, in opposition to that, well, we're going to just focus on the spiritual world. We're just going to focus on that piece. 
So we had monks and people and guys living on poles and, and not eating and not drinking. You know, we're not doing anything and fasting. And this one guy, they kicked him out of the monastery because he, he was fasting so much. They go, you, you do spiritual for us, you know. <laughs> How ascetic do you have to be for the monastery to kick you out, you know. And so the, 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 this dichotomy in people's minds was, well, if I want to become spiritual, then I have to push away from the natural world. Right? And that thing lurks in all of us. Well, I'm not spiritual enough. There's a danger here. Please hear me. Well, I, I'm not one of those guys on the deep end of the spiritual you know, side of the things. I'm just little old me. I just have... You know, I have these weaknesses. I, I, I'm just little old me. Well, little old you can function in the spiritual realm in, in amazing ways. All right, let's move on. Colossians 1 says, Jesus created the invisible realms as well as the visible realms. Timothy 3, this is a fascinating scripture. It says, this is the mystery of godliness. The mystery of God. Nineteen times in the New Testament, Paul talks about this word mystery. and Because Paul was taken to heaven and he saw stuff that he's not allowed to talk about. But now Paul, Paul is kind of bursting with stuff he knows, but he's not allowed to say. So he, so he goes, there's a mystery. He goes, in, in Ephesians 6, he goes, Husbands, you should love your wives, and wives, you should submit your husbands. And he goes, this is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Jesus and the church. This is one of those. Paul says, the mystery of godliness is great. See, we think the mystery of godliness is he put away the physical and he pursued only the spiritual. Paul says, the mystery is that he, Jesus, the almighty creator, the God who created all things, for whom all things were created and by whom all things were All things were created by him and for him. The, the Greeks said the logos. They, they said the ultimate God was this logos, the perfection of wisdom and logic and the ultimate God. They called him the logos. John says the logos became flesh. He, he, ultimate super spiritual God in a body. John says, we beheld him and we touched him. That's a mystery. God is still working out the mystery of godliness, the incarnation of his character in flesh. God does not want you out of the world. Jesus said, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them protected in the world. See, the Bible does say in Colossians 1, set your heart on things above, set your mind on things above. 2 Corinthians 4 says, fix your eyes on not on what is seen, but what is unseen. And we all go, oh, hallelujah, that's the deep end of the spiritual world. And then Jesus said, all right, now go into all the world. You go, oh, wait, wait, I'm supposed to be set. Because, yeah, set your mind there. Now go into all the world. All the world? Yeah, even the ugly places. But you want me to set my mind? Yeah. And I'm not praying you get taken out of the world. I want you in the world. In fact, I think God wants you exactly where you are, rubbing shoulders with those painful people, the irritating people, the vile people that you connect with. 
But it's not helpful if you're no different from them. You have to be somebody who not only embraces the natural, but embraces the supernatural. So you go, okay, Greg, I'm convinced. How do we do this? Let me get on. I got, I got too much. I want you to believe me that I had a lot of, just turn to somebody and say, he, he had a lot of good scripture. <laughs> so we run out of time. I want to take you to Judges 15 because I want to get to the actual sermon I want to preach. The story in Judges 15, Samson grows up. Samson is, is this weird guy. He's just having uh, just these peaks and valleys of his life. And he sees a girl. Uh, she's a Philistine. He wants to marry her. His folks say, come on now. You're not supposed to. And he goes, come on, Dad. And so they, they, uh, they have this marriage feast. And just before they get in the week before their wedding, he gives the, her wedding guests a riddle. And they get her to ask him, and he tells her, she tells them, and he loses, and so he's tacked. So he leaves, and he goes like, I'm out of here. So he doesn't marry her. So her father marries her off to somebody else. And then Samson, when he cools down, comes back and says, okay, where's she? And he goes, no, I married her off to someone. He's, now he's ticked. He goes, it's those Philistines. So he catches 300 foxes, he ties them together two by two, and he ties a stick on their tail. And he lights a fire on the stick, and he lets the foxes loose in their vineyards and in their granaries, and, and just burns the Philistine crop. <laughs> and so the Philistines go, what is this? They find these dead foxes everywhere. They go, what happened? And they go, this is Samson. So they want to kill Samson. So they come to Samson. He's gone and hidden now in a, in a place near the cave of Adullam. Some people think it is the cave of Adullam, but he's hiding out there. But the Philistines are, are kind of masters over Israel because Israel has no weapons, but the Philistines have iron weapons. And so they come and the, and the Israelites say, what do you, what do you, we didn't pick a fight. And I go, yeah, but Samson. So they said, we'll go get Samson. So 3,000 Israelites come to the cave of Etam and they say, Samson. And Samson says to them, listen, if you promise me you won't kill me, I'll let you bind me. So they do. They bind him with new ropes and they bring him out. And they're bringing him out and there the Philistines see him and they all start shouting and they come running at him. And Samson breaks the ropes and he finds a donkey's jawbone. Right? And so let's pick up the story there. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. The Hebrew word for donkey and heap is the same word. So he's doing a wordplay. Samson liked his little poems. For a guy who was that vicious, he, he was also a poet. You know, you're gonna, I don't know, figure it out. Samson liked his little riddles. So he goes, so it's the same word. I've made donkeys of them. And with a donkey's jawbone, I've killed a thousand men. Made up a little poem little ditty to sing himself to sleep. And when he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramath-Lehi, which means jawbone hill. Because he killed a thousand men and piled up their bodies, and so there was a body of a thousand dead Philistines. He called it jawbone hill. And because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, You have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi, and water came out of it. And when Samson drank, his strength returned, and he revived. So the spring was called En-Hakor, which means the caller's spring. And it is still there in Lehi. 
Samson had the opportunity to die twice that day. The first was at the hands of the Philistine army. And God answered that need by giving him a supernatural empowerment to accomplish supernatural feats. Samson picks up the jawbone of a donkey and kills a thousand men. I just want you to think about that for a little moment. A thousand men. That took him some time. <laughs> He's out there whacking guys with a jawbone of a donkey. I mean, a jawbone of a donkey is a fairly sized, I mean, it's a fair sized jawbone. But he is pirouetting and slapping guys and doing boop and thup. I could show you, but I didn't want to embarrass you. <laughs> and a thousand men fall at his hands and the rest of the army run away. I've seen the Lord do supernatural things and empower people to supernatural acts. And we go, that, right there, that is God at work. But the second miracle of the day was the supernatural provision of a natural resource that was necessary to sustain him. Allah. And everybody goes, well, God just made a well spring up out of nowhere and he drank and lay in it and washed off the blood and was refreshed and then he didn't die. You go, well, that's not... I mean, if you're going to have one of the two miracles, I'd go for Jawbone Hill. I don't want the coolest spring. You know the difference is? Jawbone Hill decomposed, rotted, crumbled, and. But the coolest spring remained. My experience is we want all about supernatural. It's all got to be spectacular. It's all got to be supernatural. It's all got to be the Spirit Lord came on me and I did superhuman feats. That's the presence of God. And it is. But God giving somebody supernatural ideas to create natural resources that keep going. That's also the Spirit of God. Amen. And both save us. I feel like the Lord is calling your church to both miracles. Supernatural demonstrations of the Spirit of God that are spectacular and spiritual and everybody's going to go, that was God. But in addition and no less important, he also wants to do supernatural provisions of natural resources. Please hear this. There's some business people in the church right now should be dancing a little jig. Because I really believe God wants to do something for this house. And he wants to give you supernatural ability and release natural resources. Lands, houses, cars, finances, staff members, ideas systems, business administrations, supernatural provision of natural things that persist as blessings to not just you, but to everybody in the area. Everybody in the area came. There used to be a pile of a thousand people, but they've all been buried now. But this spring, this is the caller's spring. You know what's interesting to me? 
it doesn't sound like Samson prayed before he picked up the jawbone of a donkey. He just was looking around and said, ah, that'll do. But when he called, that's what's called the caller's spring. I don't know why the caller's spring requires us to call. But the supernatural provision of natural resources is a function of prayer. Lord, don't let me die here. I need water. I'm about to die. My body is super exhausted. I need for supernatural empowerment, but I need a, a, a something. I, I felt like when I traveled, now I've seen more miracles um, in the last couple of years over this thing than by any other mechanism. Uh, Typically what the Lord does is he tells me about what's going on in the church and gives me a prophetic word for the church and then he demonstrates that prophetic word by a physical demonstration of healing. So we were up in Canada and the Lord said, there was a businessman there and um, Michelle was prophesying and, I, and the Lord said to me, I, I, his two partners are trying to put their thumbs on top of his and, and I saw him put his thumbs on top of theirs and the Lord said, no enemy will ever subject him to tribute but I'm going to make him the head and not the tail. He will always be the leader in business. And I, and I was sitting there, I was so excited for him. I was like, Woo, that is a cool word. And the Lord said, not just him but for every business in the place. And I was like, "Woo." That is a cool word. And the Lord said, and to prove it, I'm going to heal people who have sore thumbs. So I go, cool. But in my head, I go, there's about 80 people in the room because it's a leaders meeting. And I go, how many people could have sore thumbs in the room? And the Lord says, six. Okay. So I give the word to the guy and I give the word to the church. And I say, to prove this, the Lord wants to heal people who have sore thumbs. And would you stand if you have sore thumbs? And six people stand. And there's a lady in about three rows in, and she's both hands. She's got carpal tunnel, severe carpal tunnel. She's in braces. She can't move her hands. And the Lord instantly heals her. And her, her, her teenage daughter came and hugged me the next day. She was like, oh, thank you. Because she'd been, mom couldn't clean in the house. She couldn't hold anything. <laughs> the teenager's like, ah, oh, praise God, you know. <laughs> We were at a church in South Africa, and the Lord said, this church needs to see clearly because they, they, they've been fogged down by unbelief, and I want to, I want to open their eyes. And, in, and, and to prove that, I'm going to heal people who have just recently had a sudden deterioration in their sight. I'm going to restore it. And we had people standing. There was a woman there who had cysts in, on her eyes, and she stood, and the Lord instantly healed her in the meeting. So my point is, I've seen, we've seen the Lord do this more and more. And so I, I've kind of got faith for this. I'm like, okay, Lord, what's your word to free life? And I felt like the Lord said, I've come to bless them with gifting. I have gifts that I want to load them up with. And I was very cool. I said, how do you demonstrate that? He said, I'm going to demonstrate it two ways, two miracles. I'm going to demonstrate by giving spiritual gifts to some people. And I'm going to demonstrate it by doing physical miracles for others. But everybody's got one. You get a miracle and you get a miracle. I really believe that's what the Lord's here for this morning. I'm just going to pray two prayers, and we're going to trust God to do these two miracles. Jawbone Hill and the Caller's Spring. Supernatural demonstration of the glory of God to provide supernatural results. Salvation of friends or family or neighbors. Maybe it's a, it's a revelation or an understanding from God, or you need peace, or you need hope, or you need joy, or maybe you, you want to just trust God for the receipt of a gifting. 
or a supernatural empowerment or a, a healing or a miracle or a miracle ability to pray for others with miracles. So that's a, there's a supernatural empowerment for supernatural feats. The Holy Spirit is here to work. Watch. Watch. You don't even have to believe it. I, I got faith for this. Watch. The Lord's going to do this among us. Supernatural feats of power. <laughs> the second thing he's going to do is supernatural provision of natural resources. Maybe you need a job or a better job. Maybe you, you trust in God for a... We had a guy... <laughs> surprises and bonuses. We prayed this in our church. A guy got up. He, he trusted God for bonuses. It was May. They only get bonuses ever if they do in December. He was traveling overseas. He was in Germany. His boss called him in Germany and said, Hey, this is one week later. Within the same week. We prayed Sunday. Within that week, he's in Germany. His boss says, Listen, we've decided to give you a bonus. He goes, uh, That's great. The whole company goes, No, just you. He goes, Well, don't we usually get bonuses in December? He said, Yeah, but we just decided this week. We're going to make an exception. We just want to give you a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's a reduction of living expenses. We had somebody stand up for this and say, God, I'm trusting you. His telephone company called him and said, listen, we see that you travel uh, overseas quite a bit. He said, yes. They said, There's a, we have a better program for you. It'll be cheaper for you to, when you travel overseas. This is them calling him. He goes, yeah, that's great. And I said, because you should have been on this since the beginning of your thing, which is nine months ago, we're going to refund you all of the money. Yeah. <laughs> we had another guy stand up and the, a, a company called him from some other state and said, we've got your $5,000. And he goes, but uh, what's that for? And they go, well, you're part of a, a lawsuit. He goes, but I never applied. Not me. And they go, no, we've checked it out. This is you. This is your $5,000. Because, but I never, I was never part of this. They go, no, listen, do you want the money or not? This is your money. <laughs> Maybe it's a, a, a house or a car. You know that sometimes Jesus needed practical things? Jesus needed a donkey to ride into Jerusalem on. Because the Bible said, your king comes to you riding on a coal, the foal, the colt of a donkey. And so Jesus said, I need a donkey. When Jesus had a need, God had a plan. Jesus needed a place where he could celebrate the Last Supper with his disciples. He needed a place. Physical need. Some of you are sitting here with physical needs and you're going, well, that's not spiritual to pray about that. It's eminently spiritual. Because you are called to live from the deep end of the spiritual side of the thing to the shallow end of the physical world and everything in between. Because if you were a Jewish person, you lived in the broad, wide open scope where there was no difference between that world and this world. Yes. It's only us Western people who have limited it now just to the physical world. Yes. We live in a sliver of what God offers to us. And I want to say to you, welcome to the rest of the kingdom. So I'm going to invite you to, we're going to pray two prayers. I don't mind if you stand both times. It's fine. My wants are simple. I want it all. Right? <laughs> so I'm going to pray for those, uh, those two. I'm going to pray firstly for the miracles of supernatural miracles, salvations. Some of you got family members and children who are not yet saved. You go, forget the car. I just, I just want my son. 
to love Jesus with all his heart. Or, or, you know what I mean? Some of, some of us are in this place and you go, look, I, I, I love the physical stuff, but I, I'm telling you there's some spiritual stuff that I just, I need a miracle. I need the Spirit of God to come on me and I need him to just pick me up and move me downfield. I need a, I need a thousand corpses. I need to kill a thousand armies against me. And if that's you, I'm going to invite you to stand and I'm going to pray a prayer with you. Just stand up right where you are and say, Lord, this is me. I'm in. The supernatural empowerment for supernatural feats. Now, we're going to just join our faith and um, we're going to trust the Lord. Let's do this. Father, I come in Jesus' name and I pray for these friends who we stand together. And we are asking, Lord, for the supernatural glory of God to bring about supernatural experiences. We pray for friends and family and neighbors and people who give salvation. We call down salvation. Salvation spring up from the ground. Stir in these neighborhoods and in these families and bring about supernatural blessing. We pray for revelation and understanding and prophetic words and wisdom and peace and love and joy and hope, Lord. We pray, Lord, for those people with the receipt of the gifting, especially for those who, Lord, have a prophetic edge on their life. I call Lord for, watch this, watch this. Lord Holy Spirit, I pray for a release on the prophetic edged people in the house. I release, Lord, a greater clarity. I release, watch this. Woo, that's a party. Uh, yeah. I release, Lord, an anointing and a richness and a clarity in the things of the Spirit. I release, Lord, a new day of the hearing the voice of God, of being caught up in visions of wisdom, Lord, and the release of healing through the prophetic. And I bless these people, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would give the gifts of healings and miracles and faith to these people. Every gift, Lord, that they have desired, I pray that you would turn up the volume, Lord Holy Spirit, on these people's lives. And Lord, we ask in Jesus' name, for the supernatural ability to overcome the enemy. This enemy, Lord, that is yelling and coming at me, anoint me to destroy them. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Why don't you take your seats? Woo! Nice. Now, right now we're going to pray for jobs and better jobs. If you work for the church, you're not allowed to stand. Okay, but I don't know. <laughs> I always say that to our people. You're not allowed to stand if you work for the church. Um, bonuses and surprises. See, I never, this always surprised me. I go, hey, let's just trust God for bonuses and surprises. And then you say stand, and then about half the church stands. Other people are like, ah, I don't need the blessing of God. <laughs> if you don't feel like you need to stand, stand for me. And then, <laughs> if you don't feel like you need it, stand and then give it to the church. How about that? So you go, no, I'm amply supplied. Well, bless you then. Stand up and trust God for 100000 and give it to the church. You know? Let's not be selfish. <laughs> I was in a, I, I, I kid you not, I was in a church uh, um, recently. We, we, did, we did this. We asked him to stand up. Within a day, the, the pastor had said, he said, look, I haven't done a poll. He said, but just the people walking up to me, within two days of the prayer, he said over $100,000 has come into the hands of people who stood up in the meetings. I don't know why, but there's an anointing on this. You say, why? Well, it's your inheritance. God invited you into the whole kingdom. Maybe trusting God for a house. God, there's no way. We've bought three houses in our life, and there was no way each time 
And here we are. Or maybe you need the Lord for a new car or a new opportunity. That's not spiritual. It's eminently spiritual. Jesus needed to drink some vinegar while he was on the cross. Why? Because the scripture said. One of the prophecies about Jesus. And so Jesus is on the cross. He's just about to die. He's basically scanning through. Have I done everything? He goes, ah, there's that one. He goes, I thirst. And they give him vinegar. He goes, okay, I'm done. Here's my question. I mean, just, why did, if the Spirit of God came on Samson and enabled him to kill a thousand men, couldn't the Holy Spirit's anointing have sustained his body? Why did he also need a drink of water? Because we're just spiritual. No, we're spiritual and practical. You're spirit and body. And God means to take care of both. So if you have a physical need and you want to trust God for supernatural provision, won't you stand? I'm standing with you. We trust God. Father, we come in Jesus' name and we make this place a call of spring. Lord, would you supernaturally provide natural resources? I pray, Lord, for an influx. I release, Father, in fact, an influx into this church, into free life. Supernatural deluge in Jesus' name. I release the flow of finances, the new opportunities, the new jobs, the better jobs, the greater salaries, the bonuses, the raises, Lord, the supernatural doors flinging open, new opportunities, new ventures, new ideas, favor and blessing from God. I release, Lord, a flood of your supernatural provision into the life of these people, and I thank you, Father, that it's going to flow in this church, and that because of that, they're going to be extremely Extremely generous in this community and it's going to be known in this place that God did a thing because of a call of spring that his people called and you showed up Lord to demonstrate the difference between these people and their atheist neighbors so father I pray for a supernatural opening of just a crumb from the table Lord the super abundant blessings of God in Jesus name I'm asking for houses and cars I'm asking for pensions I'm asking for security I'm I'm asking for favor. I'm asking for blessing. I'm asking, Lord, that you would smile down and wink at your people and make a massive blessing and provision to them in Jesus' name. Heal physical bodies. Open ears, blind eyes. Heal backs. Remove pain. Stir favor. And give this church, Lord, the blessing in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Would you take your seats, please?